Welcome to 10,000 More, the podcast that explores the topics of grief, mental health, love, and everything that intertwines that all together. I'm Ruby Falk, and whatever it is that brought you to me, I'm very grateful for it. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, Today with me, I have Carly. And in 2011, Carly lost her cousin to an accidental drug overdose. Um, And she is here with me to share her story and and her perspective with us. So Carly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So we, uh, yeah, I'm gonna just turn it over to you and let you take it away and, and share your story. Awesome. Well, my story is about my cousin, Stephen, um, who was just a couple months older than me. So for all intents and purposes, was my twin in life growing up. Mm. Um, And I lost him in 2011. Um, I was working at summer camp, as you do, (laughs) and um, was at the the pickup day, the start of the session. So all the kids were coming. I was running the the check-in table. And somebody just like tossed a phone over to me and they were like, hey, your mom's on the phone. And it wasn't my phone. It was very confusing. Um, but then again, it was 2011, so I don't think I carried my phone around right, then. Right, right, right. <laughs> very different <laughs> and, times. <laughs> right. And so it's really like tossed a phone over and I could tell just like from the tone of my mom's voice that something was wrong. Mm. And um, she handled it very gracefully for like, she was as shocked as I was to like see that we were both on the phone together in this moment. And she was like, let me get your dad. And my brother was in Israel at the time. And so I was like, oh, my God, something happened in Israel. Yeah. And she was like, David's okay. And I was like, is Annie okay, our dog? <laughs> she was like, yes, Annie's fine. <laughs> it was like so I out mean, of I mean, I, I relate to that. Yeah, so out of left field for her, but like forefront of my mind. <laughs> and I just remember it being one of those moments that I wish somebody had told me to sit down before. Uh, before I got that call and my mom actually and I were talking about it um, just a couple nights ago and you know she was like Stephen died and like the next like few seconds are a blur like I'm on the ground yeah, and yeah, somebody's yeah. running over and it was just sort of like it felt like a movie it didn't feel like my life mm-hmm. um, and then I just <laughs> casually waited for my parents to come pick me up from pickup yeah. um, at 21 and um and the next few days were just like the most horrific days. And I think mm-hmm. in particular, it kind of felt surreal until I went to bed that night. Um, and I stayed at home that night. And my camp community was amazing. They were so supportive. And they were like, do what you need. And I woke up in the middle of the night and kind of had like this brief moment where I was like, whoa, that was the most horrific dream I could have possibly had. Mm-hmm. And I have very vivid dreams in general. So mm-hmm. I was like, Phew. Like, I'm glad that was just a dream. And then, like, that moment snapped away. I was like, oh, my God, this is my reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so it was so hard. And I was like, Mom, you have to sleep in bed with me tonight. Yeah. And, and she did because she's the best. And, and the next few days were just, it was like calling people and telling people. And it was like every time we had to tell somebody, it was like grieving all It was like hearing the news for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hardest was that my brother was in Israel and 
and um, he was not going to be coming home. He was going to stay through the duration of his trip and sort of like preparing him to hear that news um, and making sure he had the support he needed to to be successful and, and safe and feel loved over there while we were trying to do the same thing over here. Yeah. And it was hot. It was so hot. It was the middle of July. It was the middle of camp, or I guess the end of June. And um, it was just, it was like the hottest week. Um, and and it was it was so hard. And then my immediate reaction, like once we made it for through those first couple of days, we couldn't have the funeral on Friday or Saturday because we're Jewish. Yeah. And so it was on a Sunday, and I was the head of Judaics at camp. Mm-hmm. My immediate reaction was, I have to go back to lead Shabbat. My mom was like, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> she like drove me back to camp, <laughs> and I led Shabbat. They need me. <laughs> I was like, they can't, they can't possibly do it without me. <laughs> I have all of the kids' writings. Totally. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. I have the Torah portion. Because <laughs> we don't all read the same Torah portion Absolutely all right. across the world every Friday. <laughs> For many years. Many years. Yeah. Like a few, few hundred couple thousand. thousand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so so we went back to camp and then came back for the funeral and, and, went, and then went back to camp again. And that was just... I just went back to normal, um, mm-hmm. and I sort of didn't know any other way um, other than knowing that, like, everything felt hard, but I had a really hard time explaining it to my friends because I wasn't, I didn't have the vocabulary to explain how I felt, and I also was such a happy person um, that I, I didn't feel entitled to feel sad. Mm. Um, oh my god! Yeah, and especially because it also didn't feel like it was my loss. It was certainly my loss, but it wasn't my brother. It wasn't my son. It wasn't my grandson. So that yeah. um, that was really hard um, because I I was so concerned about everybody else making you know everybody else feeling supported and and making it sort of through the like next year, which we knew would be impossible because it's, you know. It's one thing to lose, like, somebody who's much older. Like, you know, in a world you envision losing, like, a grandparent or something like that. Exactly, yeah. And those conversations are so different than when you lose somebody who is 21. Right. And I remember when we went to the synagogue that day to, like... Because it's so fast, too. It's so fast. It's so fast. Judaism waits for no one. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Like, not a soul. You either... You're with us. (laughs) Yeah. You either can come to the funeral or not. Like, it's going to happen with or without you. Right. Like, it's just, like... Yeah. It's just just happening so fast. And and I remember the rabbi... you know, saying how do we how do we want to talk about it? You know, because when somebody dies young, we know it's a sickness that people know about. It's a car accident, or it's some sort of overdose or suicide, something in that realm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just like put it into perspective that like this was not normal. Little do we know, you know, almost ten years down the line that like overdoses would become more normal for yeah. people. Not saying it is normal, but it. It is something that people are experiencing more and more. Yeah. This is certainly at the forefront of heroin overdoses, um, especially like in my world, I'll say, not yeah. in everybody's world. But it was the first person I knew who had overdosed. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's not the only person these days. Yeah. Um, and it just, it, it like, it occurred to me that like this was not normal, but I, 
I was trying to finish my senior year of college and get a job and I just wanted to feel so happy mm-hmm. and so happy I felt <laughs> for a very, very long time. Yeah. I was so content being happy and just like sort of pushing through and like knowing that it felt sad. And we go to the, the cemetery a lot as a family. It's mm-hmm. like a weird ritual we have and like mm-hmm. a lot of birthday cake yeah. out there and I mean. <laughs> a lot of balloons. <laughs> <laughs> great place to eat cake. <laughs> the number of you cakes I've eaten. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so we had, like, I had little ways of coping. But what I didn't realize was it took me about five years to, to finally go to a therapist that I felt connected to and I didn't feel like I had to put on a front for. Mm. And by that time, <laughs> it was, I had created so many thought patterns in my head that I thought were normal but were far from normal and um like that that it wasn't my grief so I couldn't Um. feel sad that when I started to feel sad that it wasn't appropriate and I like had to like be happy but then I also had developed this really intense fear um of losing people Mm. like to the point where it was like guts in your way. Yeah, it yeah. was like paralyzing. Yeah. Um, and I was having pretty intense um, PTSD flashbacks to the to the phone call that my you know I had gotten from my mom when I found out that Stephen had died, and and my normal became that I didn't want to become close to anything mm-hmm. because everything is fleeting yes. and any happy moment will quickly become a sad moment oh without your yeah. control. <laughs> yep. And I was like, well, this is just, this is how we live life now. Yeah. Like things will just feel like this forever. So you'll put on a happy face knowing that like things will be out of, so out of your control, not just like the normal out of your control, like spinning around you grossly out of yeah. control. Yeah. So, so when, what sort of prompted me to to go to therapy was um, I had (laughs) had a conversation with my mom and I was like, look, (laughs) I was like to my parents, I was like, I just think that, um, (laughs) it's like, I just, (laughs) I think it might be better to cut our losses. (laughs) And I was like, we could just like say goodbye to each other now. And my mom was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, well, like eventually, like you'll die or I'll die. Oh my God. And it would just like be easier for everybody. It's just (laughs) cut ties. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it just, it's too much. Yeah. I was like, do you feel this weight? And she was like, you're my child. Yes. I literally feel it all day, every day. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I just, I just don't think I can do it anymore. And she was like, so I think therapy might be for you. (laughs) And I uh, I was living in St. Louis at the time and found um, a therapist and that's when I started realizing I had like these thought patterns that I didn't even know were happening. And so through some like pretty intense <laughs> conversations, I started realizing that I had been pushing people away and that I had been masking any feeling that wasn't happy as happy mm. and definitely at the detriment of myself, but also at the detriment of all my relationships. Um, and so it was, it was pretty eye-opening and so that was like about in 2015 and it felt to me like that was such a late time to start because he had died in 2011 mm-hmm. and it had taken me all those years to get there and <laughs> I mean yeah it's 
all I hear is like grief is not linear grief is not like and my experience is the exact opposite of yours yeah like well let me back up you were a happy person I was not just like lay that out first I like happy not like depressed or like angsty but I just I felt very humbled by reality okay like in just in general yeah I just didn't I didn't like surprises so I always really anticipated the worst and expected the worst outcomes but like (laughs) if it happened you were prepared I was ready yeah and like whatever people were like why would you live that way and I was like I don't know it's working so (laughs) functioning but then and then this happened and I lost my dad Mm -hmm. and my reaction was like see like I knew it I knew it like that was just I don't know that so that's that is where I came from and I I feel in in addition to grieving immediately I just I yeah I don't know I felt like I needed to like start fresh yeah like you wanted to go up and lead Shabbat services (laughs) yeah and I wanted to like never speak to anyone again and like move to the countryside in New Zealand and yes (laughs) herd sheep like I just didn't want anything to do with any part of my old life yeah yeah but I also wanted everything to do with my old life because it was a happier time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before I knew that, like, the world was capable of such evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it was exactly that, that I was like, if I can plug back into the feelings I had, then I don't have to let go of them. Like, yeah. they were, like, mm. literally within my reach, you know? Like, so interesting. June 28th mm. was always the day where things were just so normal. Yeah. And... And I was like, I can, I can touch it, you know? Yeah. So if mm-hmm. I can touch it, I can live it. Yeah. yeah. And then like four or five years later, <laughs> like still holding on to yeah. June 28th, 2011. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. And, and was like, it working? <laughs> well, okay, yes. <laughs> that aside, yes, I'm glad you realized that. Yeah. But like, like a few years yeah. over there. <laughs> but like I... I that that nightmare I also have extremely vivid dreams mm-hmm. I wanted to do an episode because I write my dreams down because I they should. are so, how do you not do that because they stick with me like, same but like <laughs> but then there's like little details that are so poignant and then uh-huh. I read them I, I write I have like pages of maybe you the, will inspire me oh my god it. you really should and so especially particularly after my dad died I've had some like extremely powerful ones where he yeah. was in them and and so I had the exact same reaction. Yeah. Like going to sleep and then waking up in the middle of the night and being just like, oh my God, that was so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Thank God that's not real. Yeah. And then being, and then like my alarm went off and we like had to get up and go to the airport because I was in Baltimore at the time and we like right. had to go to the airport. It was just like, yeah. Yeah. Just nuts. Yeah. And I think that was when it like really started to get pervasive when the my dreams became about like losing people and mm-hmm. and it's like literally like wake up with like tears like yeah. wet tears on my yeah. face which is just really speaks to the power that like your mind has um and I think it's definitely the reason part of the reason I found social work as a you know career path yeah. in life yeah um but it started it was 
it was like day or night. Like I had no control over mm. the feelings I was having. And that's why it was so easy to say to my most incredible parents that like, I was like, I think we should be done. <laughs> because I was, it was just like during the day, the thoughts were like spinning in my head during the night. I was having dreams of like, <laughs> like going downstairs to like make latkes for Hanukkah mm-hmm. and not knowing the recipe and being like, I'll go ask mom. And then everybody being like, oh, Carly. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> it was just yeah. like all the time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so, so the finding the therapy was, was really important and, and it was so powerful. And, and it really worked while I was living in St. Louis because yeah. basically I'd like do a session and then I'd like call my parents because it was like so deeply tied to them yeah. in particular um, and my brother as well, but even more so my parents. And so I would call them and we would kind of like talk through what we had gone over and like kind of help us find like a common language over like how to help me and how to help them and because it was so terribly impacting our relationship. Totally. Um, but they're so unconditionally loving and yeah. like it it just was impacting how I felt. <laughs> yeah. They were they were great. Um, even though it was super hard and um and and then I moved back to Denver. I finished grad school, moved back to Denver. And I felt like I was like, oh okay, I'm back in my element. I'm surrounded by all my people. And, like, the place where my heart is, I was like, this is going to be so great. Yeah. And it was the ex- exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, everything but opposite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it got it got harder. And all of a sudden, all the people who I had actually had some distance from, who I really cared about, friends, family, it, it was, like, in my face. Yeah. And, like, the, the possibility of losing them was so intense. Mm-hmm. And... And I was having a really hard time seeing, again, how it was tied to, like, this undiagnosed grief or, you know, unexamined grief, I guess I should say, of losing Stephen. And and it was, it was, it was detrimental. Um, and it has made it really hard for me, you know, even recently, you know, talking with friends. I didn't realize I was pushing them away. And as we were, like, kind of discussing it, trying to, like, you know, work through our things, I was like, oh my gosh, this is impacting everything. It's impacting my friendships. It's impacting dating. <laughs> dating is like, I'm like, bye. <laughs> Not we don't right even, now. We don't have to get close. <laughs> it won't work. Don't worry. Stop. <laughs> um, and, and it got just so much harder. And, and I was talking with one of my friends recently and, and she was like, well, I wish you would have shared when it was feeling hard because I've been through you with you through so many things for you know we've been friends since 2008 you know when I started college and I was like it's not about feeling comfortable sharing it's this shame that like eight and a half years later almost nine years later I'm it's still so hard for me Mm -hmm. and like this feeling that like this far out it it could be easier like what if I had just started therapy right away what if I hadn't felt so sad what if I had felt sadder What if it hadn't triggered all these things, all this anxiety that I had already had as a kid? What if it hadn't triggered all of that and made it like so much worse? And yeah. and and it's about nobody else, but about me and shame, which is an emotion I can say truthfully I never felt until after he died, and now it's like around, it's like spinning around me all the time, yeah. <laughs> um, which is hard because I thought. I don't know, for some reason I assumed shame was a feeling I would never feel. 
<laughs> and here we are. <laughs> um, I think the idea, the concept of shame, I think is so interesting when it comes to grief because shame is like the the idea that like you are a bad person, you are not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I don't, I mean, from personal experiences, I I can say that like my grief is deeply enmeshed in shame. Mm-hmm. Not not that I I knew that there was nothing that I could have done to stop my dad or nothing that I did that like drove him to end his life. Right. But like as much as I am trying to normalize grief and normalize mental health and normalize I I say normalize suicide. I don't mean that like we should ever accept it as an okay thing, but I mean right. that like it is as legitimate, quote unquote, a, a form of death as like cancer. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I for some reason, and, like, and I have a podcast devoted to this, and yet I find that like I'm still so sheepish mm-hmm. when it comes to talking about how he died yeah with someone because I feel like it completely changes the conversation yeah because I know what they're thinking or Mm -hmm. I think that I know what they're thinking right I wonder what's going through their head when I tell them Mm -hmm. and I wonder I wonder if like you feel the same way and maybe some of your shame is tied into that or I don't know it's it's such a good question I know that my grief has definitely it ebbs and flows sometimes it is I'm fine and I'm just at like this is our new normal and this yeah. is how it will be and and I move through the world just fine. Sometimes I am heartbroken and so sad. Sometimes I am so angry. Mm-hmm. Um this um a couple weeks ago would have been his thirtieth birthday, um, which was particularly hard for me because mm-hmm. every birthday he would make fun of me that I was such a baby and he was so much older. Yeah. And I always <laughs> looked forward to thirty because I felt like this would be the time that I would get to be so youthful. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like had the fountain of youth on my side yeah, for at yeah. least, you know, the the month and the two months and a day that I was younger <laughs> or whatever. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I was so, I was so, so angry. And it, angry, truly, I felt like at him, yeah. you know, for, for making a choice. Because at the end of the day, it, while it is a disease, it also was a choice, right. you know, which is so complicated. Right, exactly. I, you know, yeah. Which is, even... which is what makes it so different than, like, uh, a cancer or something sure. like that. Because there are decisions, but there are not fully sound decisions. It's, it's yeah. so complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know. And, um, and so it's so angry. So that's a really good question. Is the shame tied into that? And... I, I mean, think you may not have an answer. I don't yeah, know. I just It's a good question. I think maybe in some way it is. I have I've never had an issue telling people how he died. But I also don't pause to like look at how somebody responds when I tell them. I'm like mm. bada bing bada boom. Yeah. <laughs> like, now you know and we're moving on yeah, to the next yeah, part yeah, of the yeah, sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um don't offer a lot of space. I don't want to be like, oh honey, like, oh honey. You know, like yeah. I don't I don't want that. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is why I've gone through also periods where like I'll tell people and periods where I won't tell people because Same. sometimes I want support and sometimes like the last thing I want to be looked at is like as somebody who is sad and grieving because I also think 
there's a lot of stigma around people who are grieving yes. and what they are capable of doing or not doing. Yeah. Especially, I know for myself, as a mental health professional, I, I've always had this fear that I don't want to look weak. It yeah. doesn't matter if I feel weak. I don't want to look yeah. weak because I want to help people. Um, what I learned in reality is that it just strengthens my ability to be empathetic towards others. Totally. Um, because I know for myself what it feels like to feel shame or to feel lost or to feel sad or to feel happy when I feel like I should feel sad or to feel sad when I want to feel happy. Yeah. So I, it gives me an ability to relate to kids, I think, in a way um, that helps them feel seen. But the shame piece is the hardest piece for me because hmm. because it's a something I've always associated. I had a negative association with. Yeah. And it's something that I'm hoping for myself that I'm able to change as I work on it is that you can feel shame and it doesn't have to be like a negative thing to feel it. That it can be an emotion <clears throat> that you feel regardless <laughs> When I was in therapy, one of the things that we worked on was when I felt something, <clears throat> was to name the actual emotion I was feeling, not the emotion I wanted to be feeling. Wait, what? <laughs> Say this. So, so I would like explain a situation that had like been really hard during the week that was like really hard for me to navigate through that usually resulted in some sort of like panic attack. And <laughs> we would walk back through the, the situation and through each step, she would say, and what feeling were you feeling at that moment? And I would just be like, so angry. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, break it down. How did you feel when you thought this or when you heard that or when this input came in towards you? How did you feel? And and I moved away from, like, angry, happy to, like, sad, confused, shamed. Yeah. And I had, like, like a, uh, like a chart of, like, feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, which is not dissimilar from a chart of feelings I might use with a seven-year-old. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I, that makes such sense to me. Like, you're so... You're, like, unable to name feelings yeah. in, a, in an adult-like way <laughs> when you are grieving. Right. Like, regardless of if it had just happened or if you're feeling that crappy way that you feel, like, on a mm -hmm. random day five years down the road like yeah it just it's really hard to name the emotion other than like I don't know I use angry a lot yeah it's it was my go-to angry or happy and it kind of makes sense because when your, your brain gets flooded with emotion yeah. and it clouds your ability to right. look at a situation yeah. and the skill it gave me was to like pause and name emotions and like mostly just pause in a moment and not spiral. Yeah. Um, but it also like helped me realize that like sometimes you feel shame and yeah. it's a valid emotion. And just like feeling happy is a valid emotion that doesn't always last. Shame is an emotion that will come and go and will be there and will not be there. And to name it is so powerful for me. But I know even just in the last month, having been able to name it to a couple people that I know I had been pushing away mm. unknowingly um, was super powerful for me and them because it was this moment where together we were like, whoa, <clears throat> it's okay that that was happening. And and I think that for me has like been the most powerful thing too is that 
sometimes these things, we have to name them with other people to sort of like move through this path together. Prior to losing your cousin, did you ever think that shame was an emotion or like a state of being associated with grief? No, I actually am not even sure I had thought about shame at all. I don't think it's an emotion I had ever felt. Wow. Prior. I just... That's so impressive. I was very confident. (laughs) I am not selling myself on this podcast. (laughs) I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm ashamed. (laughs) I had like a lot of anxiety as a kid, like had a really hard time when my parents like left me at preschool, like vivid memories of it. Um, And, but shame was like, I was really good at like, like things would happen, even like very embarrassing things. I was a very awkward teen (laughs) and I could like just roll and like brush it off and like keep on moving forward. And it wasn't a thing I had ever experienced. And so I had never even thought about like, who might be somebody who felt shame? Like, what is a scenario that somebody would even feel that emotion? So the first time my therapist had asked me if it was a feeling I had felt, I was like, no. I was so, so, I was like. like defensive. Yeah, I was like, Like, how dare you? Why would you act? I was like, do I look like somebody who experiences shame? She's like, kind of. She was like, now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think so, and now I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I never, I never thought that I would in any way, like, I don't know. Ugh, I don't know. Because I also never thought that I would lose anyone I love, let alone a parent to suicide. Yeah. So I never thought that I would experience, like, shame when it came to talking about their death. Right. And... Like, uh, yeah, I just, I'd said that, you know, this is, that I've, I've only cried on my podcast once. And it was when I, I had someone on here who was sharing a story. She had, Marin, if you haven't listened to her episode, it was wonderful. <laughs> she lost both of her parents and her parents' love story and relationship really, really reminded me of my parents. And mm-hmm. I just like couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. Keep it together. Yeah. And not that you should, I mean, like, please feel free to cry on the podcast. Like, this is a safe space that I want to create. But it's just, it's so interesting that, like, I feel like when I talk about my dad, I don't cry as much anymore. When mm-hmm. I'm alone and I think about him, I do. But, yeah. like, if someone else brings it up, I I cry. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the first year, it was... There was no way to tell the story. Well, no, that's, the first year doesn't count. That's like <laughs> it was just a lost year. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I took care of the Colorado drought that year. I cried so many yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and then as like you know, then I then I just sort of it became my story, and it was I, I felt like I didn't cry very much. But I think you're right. Just the other night, um, we were talking about it at a, a, a larger family gathering, and to hear somebody else bring it up, and to hear their experience here's the thing I'll take a step back 
we talk about him a fair amount mm-hmm. um, because his sister, my cousin, has kiddos, and mm. you know we, you know, there's like sort of this like I think there's a thing in a lot of cultures, but especially in Judaism, is you know that we we keep people alive through their memories. Totally. And, you know, like in remembrance, there is life is a phrase that um, I've really kind of grabbed and held on to. And so we talk about him a lot and, you know, telling stories of, you know, the things that we used to do that were pretty sneaky. And and I certainly see him in my cousin's kids, which is so crazy. (laughs) It's so weird. Sometimes they do things and I'm like, (laughs) there he is, (laughs) loud and proud. Yeah. and so we talk about him a lot, but we don't talk about his death frequently, mm. if ever. Um, within my immediate family, I think maybe we do a little bit more, um, but not a, in general. And so somebody was was kind of recalling the story of the day he died from their perspective, um, a, a family friend. And that ca- kind of caught me in my tracks um, the other night because... I had never heard their version of the story mm-hmm. and like their experience oh, from it. Yeah. And and this particular one of my mom's friends is not a huge crier, you know? And so to hear, you know, she was like, I walked in the door and and I got the phone call and she goes, and I sat in the living room and we never sit in the living room. <laughs> and she's like, and then I'm crying. <laughs> and she goes, and I never cry. Yeah. And I was like, in that moment, I started to tear up because, you know, it was kind of twofold. It was so heartbreaking to hear that and yeah. just reminded me, like it threw me back so vividly to how I felt. But also it was like kind of beautiful in this morbid way to see, you know, that like, like I, I think the thing that makes me feel most sad and angry and heartbroken is like this massive amount of time we lost, yeah. you know? Um and so to see the impact that he did have in his 21 years was really so outstanding and so just so miraculous. Special. I mean, yeah, exactly. He touched a lot of people, you know. I he mean, did. Yeah. He really did. And and my mom does a, has a you know actually both my parents have a really great way of helping me remember that you know it's not about the amount of time and more maybe so about the quality of time yeah and something they say to me they're like you wouldn't trade him for another cousin who you got to stay with forever who you liked a lot less and I'm like okay that's that's working for me today yeah (laughs) they're like you had 21 years and it's not enough but like we think about like the 20 the things that happened in those 21 years that you couldn't have had with anybody else in this world and oh my god I've never thought of it that way it's powerful. It's yeah, kind of kind of sad. And and both my parents have <clears throat> lost people. My mom, um, you know, has lost her mom, who she was very very close with. And my dad has lost his parents, and um, he lost one of his brothers when mm-hmm. um, his brother was actually the same age, about twenty or twenty one. Uh. And so they, in their own ways, like intimately understand how I how I feel. And yeah. so you know those are things that actually have worked for them and so for them to like share that with me yeah um is really special it makes it feel you know it's so awesome to like work with a therapist but it's all equally as cool to to have those conversations that i know are so hard for them because you know individually people have a really hard time navigating grief and i can't imagine being a parent and helping your child also Ugh. navigate that grief it yeah. seems 
very overwhelming yeah. and you know parents already feel like they don't know what to say and then yeah. throw in something that you know stops them in their tracks yeah and so their vulnerability to sort of share like these are the things we think of when it feels really hard and yeah. these are the things we think of you know my dad always says whenever he sees you know a beautiful sunset in the sky he just thinks you know it's his brother up there who loved to paint painting him a sunset and so he's like you can find your things yeah. in this world that make it feel less hard because it will never be easy but it can feel less hard oh my god i love that so much yeah but it's yeah yeah it's easy to say it's much it's harder in practice but, it's, but i i you know i will choose to internalize that because i think that's so useful to hear and especially now like as as a parent yeah it's like this intricate it's re-experiencing grief all over again just because the fact that my dad does not get to build a relationship with my daughter who my dad would have literally melted over yeah is gut wrenching. like it's infuriating and gut-wrenching and and just ruins my day sometimes when I think about it yeah it makes a happy moment unbearable sometimes. exactly and and then it's and then it's hard because people don't really understand mm-hmm. if they have never experienced it because they think I I remember when I was pregnant everyone like people who knew my family or whatever around Denver they were they would always just say like you know I'm so happy for you and your family like you you guys need this blessing like you need this happiness right now and their heart was in the like I knew what they were trying to say but at the same time I was thinking like you have no idea how horrible the idea of bringing a child into this world is Mm -hmm. for me right now yeah you know what I mean like (laughs) So it's just, it's so, it's so hard. And this is where that negativity comes back in. That like, right. I love what your parents say about like choosing to see that the beauty of the sunset that your your uncle was a painter or, mm-hmm. and, and this is how he's like, you know, like reminding everybody that he's here. And, right. and I have those moments with my dad. Like he does, I, they're like really weird things that happen <laughs> that like, like I will oh my god I have to share that this is just my dad had like the best sense of humor and so I'd heard something about have you heard about like the the pennies like seeing pennies google it, <laughs> google it. Okay. I'm not even kidding it's I think it's they like call, pennies like like coins? Pe- seeing pennies like on the ground okay yes as like a thing as like a sign from like the dead oh no okay I think it's like pennies from heaven Oh, or something like wait. Google. It's it's like a thing. I love that. It's really weird, and I'll, I'll just up be like, every time I see them, as long as they're heads up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But so, so the day that we closed on our house uh-huh. was a shockingly very hard day because my dad loved like design. He like designed like our whole house and like decorated. And he was like very into. He was Chip Gaines before Chip Gaines was cool. <laughs> and actually, I'm going to take that back. He was Joanna Gaines. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I have to keep this honest. So, I love that. Anyone who's listening can 
know that that's true but so we walk into the house and I was just I had I was so sad we closed I like pulled I wasn't with my husband at the time and I like it was that day though it was in the morning and I pulled my car over to the side of the road I was driving and I like just burst into tears because I was like I can't this was like the first like milestone after our wedding that my dad wasn't a part of right was like our first house and so we walk in like after closing we get the keys we walk into the house and we're like running around we're like oh my god I can't believe we have a house like this is so exciting and I walk into our den which we are sitting near right now and on the fireplace was a penny the house was empty there was a freaking penny on the fireplace and here's the kicker this is weird unless you know my dad it was in German it was like a German penny. <laughs> well, my dad would like, first of all, he was obsessed with World War II. Okay. He would like, get after dinner, he would like get up from the dinner table and like, his quote was like, I'm going to go see what Hitler's up to and like to go turn the history channel on. <laughs> and we were just like, okay. okay. Like, and so like, Bye. as like a child, I just like thought that that's what everyone's dad did. <laughs> I was just like, doesn't everyone see what Hitler's doing? Like, right. you got to keep sure. up to date. Yeah. <laughs> And like, and then he would do German impressions and whatever. And so I found this, I like was in the kitchen many, many feet away. And all of a sudden I just like turned my head. I was like, that's a freaking penny on that fireplace. And I walk over there and I pick it up. I was like, and it's in German. Because he wants to see what Hitler's up to. And like, so. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I do. That. I know. But so like, I, I do have those moments and I, I cherish them. But then there's just like, they just like go to hell. Mm-hmm quickly yeah you know yeah yeah I have and that's sort of the experience that I have had you know is anytime like his favorite song would come on the radio Mm -hmm. it was like quick switch like just want to like vomit before listening to that song Mm -hmm. and then sometime in the last year I was like what if it what if it's a sign (laughs) which is so silly because I don't know who knows what is after this life right yeah and I'm like but what if it's a sign (laughs) And I'm just switching the channel, like right in the middle of like a sweet reminder, yeah. or like a quick hello, or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, what if instead of switching it off, like you could just appreciate that it's playing yeah. and like take it as an opportunity to like pause in the middle of like this crazy life that you love living to like remember that like things in like their most chaotic state can also be like really sweet. And so whenever I hear the song now, I, I kind of like, have decided like it's a good omen like whatever is to follow yeah will like be okay what's the song now i have to know um mr Brightside by the killers <laughs> which i yeah. loved yeah yeah i yeah. loved very much and yeah. i hated very much and yeah. now i'm like yeah. oh it's a good omen <laughs> like yeah. it comes on anywhere and i made like whatever anybody's doing who's with me like we stop and we listen to it and whether that. they know why we are or not sometimes it's like hey guys steven's favorite song and sometimes it's like guys i just love this song and we have to listen yeah um, depending on really just how I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a moment to pause and it's a moment to like be, to, to appreciate that like things are good and that things in the ultimate scheme of life like will be okay, which is also something I find really hard to grasp when I feel like this panic. And it, the thing I've like sort of come to terms with is like it will never go away. This like intense fear of losing people. Yeah. Um, but how it impacts the way I navigate through the world can change. It doesn't have to feel like this like cloud looming over me. It can be a cloud that's like 
you know, chilling behind five you. feet yeah. behind me or yeah. like seven feet to the side, yeah. <laughs> you know, depending on the wind. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't always have to like be pouring down. And sometimes it will be, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. And that comes down to, you know, a choice I get to make. You know, when it starts to feel hard, you know, just like you do for anything else, you know, for any sort of anxiety or mental health, you know, that people anywhere are working through, you know, you have coping mechanisms and you choose how you react to things. And sometimes when you have more strength, it's easier. And sometimes when you have less strength, it's much harder. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I've been working on. Um, and it's hard, but it's doable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a process. As you said, like it's, this will never go away. No. Do you think since you've kind of identified your emotions better and and it sounds like have articulated it to your friends and your loved ones that like this is your experience right now, whether or not it's feels quote late to be going through this or not, like has have your relationships changed? Here, let me why I say this is yeah. in the episode before this mm-hmm. that I did with Evan. We talk about giving people the opportunity to be there for you, yeah. which is something I really struggle with because I'm like, I don't want to burden them. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. They don't know what to say, blah, blah. Like, I just run down the list of reasons why, like, right. I, I don't want to, like, let people be there for me. Yeah. And the importance of letting them yeah. do it. Yeah. I think... And that's so interesting because I think I've given my family a really fair opportunity, like my immediate family, to like really be there uh, for me. And I have yet to give almost any friend that opportunity Mm. because, again, it just feels so hard to explain the relationship. And then I'm like, well... I question everything. Like, I kind of, this is like the spiral. I'm like, well, what if I wasn't really that close? Like, you weren't close enough to save him, so were you even that close? Which is ridiculous and not a valid thought. Right. But a thought that I see and I recognize and then I say, and you can go now. Yeah. You don't have to stay with me. Yeah. Um, And I know that, like, everybody, and that's the other thing is sometimes I think when people experience grief, it feels so personal to who you are that you can't imagine somebody else could have a relationship with like that. But like at the end of the day, like most people in this world have cousins and yeah. most people have cousins they really love. Yeah. And cousins who they grew up with doing everything with. Yeah. You know, grandparents who watched the cousins together, you right, know? Right, So it's actually, I think, something most people could understand. <clears throat> but for whatever reason, over the last, you know, eight years... I've decided it's something people couldn't understand and to put them through the process of helping them understand yeah. just seems so petty and yeah. they have lives to live and things right. to do right but then I see photos of friends with cousins and yeah. and it just it it just feels like my heart is being torn out so I think maybe you're like that's a really great point I think maybe I haven't give pe- given people is this free therapy by the way <laughs> is that what I'm learning so <laughs> I'm glad you've caught on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the classes are working. <laughs> You're picking up some great skills. Thank you so much. Um, Tuition dollars for your right. work. I'll write the check at the end. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
no, is that maybe I I haven't given people that opportunity because I don't know because yeah. it feels yeah feels too hard yeah or not valid which kind of goes back to like that first feeling that I felt for so long which was that this was not my grief to have that it was more my cousins or my aunt and uncle's thing to feel or my grandparents yeah. thing to feel even over my thing that's so yeah th- that's that is also something in addition to feeling shame <laughs> that is also something that like I didn't know was a thing I was like if you knew someone who died like you are grieving and then after starting this podcast and talking with so many people about their stories and some who I've talked to at length who ultimately decided not to share their story because they felt like it wasn't their grief, which I totally respect that decision. But I like just didn't know that that was a thing. I was just like, but you're, you're sad that this person died. Mm -hmm. But I get, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You're not, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, think, I see nothing wrong with it. No, I guess when you look at it like from that rash, like that really rational mindset, it's so easy, right, to say like, oh, I right. And I, ta- I mean, I take that with a grain, right. grain of salt. Like, right. my experience with grief is very much my story. So it's, right. I don't, you know, I don't know what it's like to grieve someone. Thank God, like knock on wood, like right. like like a cousin or mm-hmm. like someone who had people that were closer to them like right so you know right and it's hard because then when you move into that um, like when you're in rational it's super easy you move in and when I'm in the rational mindset I so see that it is as much my grief as it is anybody else's in our family as it is any of his friends but I see I mean I see what you're saying right and then I move into the emotional mindset where things are a little less clear and definitely more vibrant yeah and I'm like wait what if it's not mine right and I think always just as a person I've like I've always had that like sense of empathy and, and sympathy to other people and you know always making sure again part of the reason I think I found social work as a as a career you know, is that I really am able to see like how people connect to each other and mm-hmm. how relationships impact each other. And for whatever reason, I felt like maybe this relationship isn't like I I don't get priority on grief, <laughs> which again, Wait, what do you mean? that like somebody else, like their grief has like a higher priority. Oh, you oh, know? Oh, oh. Like they they deserve more grief and I'm, I'm down here and there are people below me and I'm, you know, sometimes yeah. I'm higher, sometimes I'm lower. Yeah. Which is, Interesting because I also think it's a thing I'm not quite sure I'm ever going to be able to, you know, kick. But, but also, I think there's validity to that, though. I do think there's validity to that. Yeah, there is. There yeah. is. Yeah. Like, yeah. But at anyway, like some sorry. point, but also, like, at the detriment of not grieving, you know, is it's counterintuitive, you know, right. to, 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 and that's what I did for so long, is to not allow myself to grieve because it wasn't my grief to have, yeah. which then created a lot of bad habits yeah. internally that I didn't know were happening, which then kind of like brought me back to recognizing that, you know, he was my best friend, you know, he was he was my person in this world. Mm-hmm. He, he was the one who would eat all my marshmallows out of the Lucky Charms box and leave me with <laughs> just the grain cereal. <laughs> Very sweet. I forgot it even had grain. I know, right? That was the deal. Was in our uh, grandparents' house. Was we each got a box of cereal that um, whatever we wanted, and when we finished it, we could get a new one. And so I was like 
we all loved Lucky Charms, so we all got it. And I was super equitable with my scoops, you know, because you got to get, like, the perfect marshmallow and yeah, grain. Yeah, right. Totally. So that, like, by the last bite, it's hopefully extra marshmallows. <laughs> and he <laughs> did not have the foresight. He would eat all the marshmallows, leave the grain, be so disheartened, <laughs> eat my marshmallows. It was just a disaster. But it's, <laughs> it's fine. I love that. Now I buy my own Lucky Charms. Yeah. My grandmother doesn't do that for me anymore. <laughs> I'm an adult. <laughs> And I can buy Lucky Charms. <laughs> and I can eat just the marshmallows. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, well, I digress. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, you know, because it's something that almost everybody in this world could potentially relate to. Everybody has a cousin. Yeah. Everybody could either imagine or may have lost a cousin and know what that or imagine what that grief might feel like. And yet it has is something that I'm so afraid to share with others. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know. But I also have such I mean, a I, solid like, support system at home. Yeah, no, I, I you know, yeah. That it almost, you know. I don't know. I know why. Yeah, you do? That's why this podcast exists. Because <laughs> I I grief. Like, yeah, because it's grief. Like, because it's hard. It's just yeah. so uncomfortable. I think, and it I do is. think a lot of it goes back to, like, making other people uncomfortable. And yeah. I've literally addressed this with every single person I've ever had on this show is that like the the idea of putting others at ease when you like start to tell your story. Yeah. And then and then you see their reaction and there's and then you're like, "Oh no, no, no it's okay. It's okay. Everything's fine." Anyway, right. like I'm good. Right. Like Right. And then well, it just it totally changed when people were like, "How are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm bad." Yeah. And then I just ended it there and looked at them and they were like, oh. You just like set the microphone yeah. for them to pick up. Here you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, I think I, I very much understand why. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's interesting too, you know, because now I, I work at the camp that I yeah. worked at when, uh, oh, when that's he right. died. Oh, Wow. Yeah. And <clears throat> again, some summers are easy. <laughs> some summers are nightmares. Um, around that day mm. and I think you know the the first summer you know that I was full-time in this position I had a really hard time telling anybody because <clears throat> nobody that was at camp was a staff member when I was when I was there and he died mm. there were a lot of campers who were there who were not staff members which was just weird so crazy oh my god um but nobody who was who was there and had that experience with me and the people who who i was with that summer were so supportive i I guess i did have friends i talked to it was that summer and those people were so present with me Mm -hmm. in ways that i couldn't have imagined that i needed um so when i went back and you know i had this really deep connection to this place to begin with. It was the camp I grew up going to and I worked at as a staff member. Um, and then to to be back in this place with knowing that that date was coming, I like t- turned into the not nicest version of myself. I was so short and I had a really hard time like pausing to listen to people and you know, which is like the core of anybody's job at camp is to like, listen to people and hold space for people and I couldn't hold space for people I couldn't hold space for myself and I ended up just kind of like exploding one day mostly just like with myself and um and my coworker kind of like caught it and me and you know was able to say like what this what is going on 
And I was, it wasn't even like in the forefront of my brain. It was just like happening. And when I paused, I was like, oh my God. I was like, it's his yurt site today, which is the anniversary of his death. And I was like, I haven't been at camp since 2011 on his yurt site. And to like be in that space where I was when it happened was just so crazy because, and and I guess it's a piece of the story didn't really tell, um, but that morning, before I went down to Denver to pick up campers, um, my roommate was on airport duty, so you have to get up really early. Yeah. <laughs> you have to like go to the airport and pick up kids. And so she was up at like 3.30 or 4. And I'm like notoriously bad at mornings. <laughs> um, not my forte. <laughs> and so I like woke up panicked. And she assumed I woke up panicked because I had overslept and she was like you didn't miss your alarm <laughs> and I was like no it's not that I was like something's wrong mm. and she was like nothing's wrong she's like it's like four in the morning like you're on Denver duty wow. and I was like I don't know what to tell you I was like something's wrong and it was like the the time in which he had died um, which is so I have chills I mean that's just so yeah it's so crazy and it's like we always joked that we were kind of like the twins, you know, being born so close together. Um, and I'm certainly not a twin, but, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to be, I would assume that, you know, th- that's what that connection feels like. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I don't know, like in Hercules where like the cord is cut. I was oh like, God. I could like feel. Such a good visual. Yeah. <laughs> you like feel the cord being yeah. cut in the moment. Yeah. Um, wow. And, and that was something that like the people I was with that summer knew um but also it's hard to like step back into a space in a new role and you know to be a female leader on top of it you know and the social worker you know who carries like the social weight of you know the emotional weight of camp sometimes and and to then figure out how to be so vulnerable and for the you know first time in that space in that role it just didn't I don't think there was a way I could have done it and he more gracefully or less gracefully to be honest (laughs) um and it was really hard and and the subsequent summers have been easier um but it's it's like the same thing with the song where I used to just switch the radio and at camp I used to just switch it off when I had a thought about him because it's where I went to grieve it was the place I ran back to grieving properly or not you know for myself um, and I think even just over this last summer in particular, I feel like I was able to to not switch the radio station, if you will. And when things felt hard, I was able to just say to my amazing team, I work with two incredible men who hold space like nobody's business mm-hmm. and are kind and generous. Um, and I was just able you know, to share with them and tell them what was so hard and without even having to go into detail they both intimately understood what I was explaining for you know and what that felt like for me and so this past summer just to be able to say like I need to tap out and I'll be back and to just have them both say yep we got it um because sometimes all you need is five minutes and sometimes all you need is a nap (laughs) or a shower um so it's been it's been interesting because that's the other weird piece is that you know I have a job that you know most of the year allows me to go home and to go to the gym and 
make food that I like to eat and things like that and yeah. <laughs> to cope and wait and, you know, have access to internet and <laughs> cell phones <laughs> right. and cope like, you know, like normal people in the world cope. But I also have a job where three months of the year I have, you know, very limited access to talking to my family and to, yeah. you know, just even being a part of the world outside. And, and while that's so powerful and I think I get to, you know, create a lot of change with you know the kids and the staff that I work with um it is it takes a really large toll on me and so I think I'm slowly working towards figuring out you know how to get to be in such a beautiful space that is also so traumatizing for me or has was traumatizing for me I should say so wow wow well you're doing great (laughs) I appreciate that doing an amazing job I mean that's yeah no to to have to like go revisit that every summer it's it's like this little personal goal that you have every every year and it's just yeah I mean that's that takes a lot a lot of guts to like be present I don't know to like do that every summer on the anniversary of his death and that's where you were like that's just that's a lot yeah so I. I applaud you for like working on that and recognizing that and like I don't know using that as like a like a catalyst to healing I want to say I just I think that's awesome yeah I think it's really cool thanks I appreciate that yeah yeah well this was like so cool thank you so much Carly for being here I love getting to do this so much this is really more helpful than I even anticipated it would be um and I love the opportunity to get to, you know, speak. What what inspired me to reach out to you to do this was listening to an episode. And there was a moment in it where I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody else gets my story. Mm. We don't have the same story. They're not even remotely similar, but, like, they get my feeling. And so just hoping that the more you're able to put this out into the world, that the more people will be able to say, oh, my gosh, somebody understands how I feel. So oh. I applaud you for doing the hard work. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the highest compliment. So thank you. 